Welcome to The Mushroom Show, the one place where you need to be if you want to stay on top of all the cool things happening in the world of mushrooms. My name is Tony, and in this episode, we're going to be going on a tour of a massive mushroom farm that's both big and small. We're also going to be checking out if oyster mushrooms can actually save the world, plus a couple of pieces of mushroom news. Now, before we get started, if you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, it would mean the world to me if you could go ahead and hit that like button. It really helps the YouTube algorithm show the show to more people. Also, if you want to see future episodes of the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button as well it really helps the channel grow let's jump into the show so I just got back from natural products Expo West in Anaheim California and it's probably the largest gathering of consumer brands in the world there are a hundred thousand or so people there thousands of brands and everyone there kind of showing off their stuff and of course I was on the lookout for cool new mushroom stuff when I happened to run into small hold small hold was there showing off their mushrooms uh, they were also showing off their cool little mushroom grow chamber, which you can see there, that's Adam DiMartino. He is the co-founder of Small Hold, standing in front of the uh, mini mushroom grow farm, holding some oyster mushrooms. And as it turns out, they just happen to have a farm and a facility right there in Los Angeles, which I was lucky enough to go see. And let me tell you, this place is super cool. Now, I don't know what I was expecting, but with a name like Small Hold, I didn't expect such a big and impressive facility. But again, this place is super cool. They are pumping out a ton of mushrooms and they have a great mission, which is just to bring more mushrooms to the world. Let's roll the clip. When you close your eyes and think of a mushroom farm, you might picture dark and musty cavernous hallways, wooden framed compost beds, and boring old button mushrooms. But perhaps that's only because you've never been to Smallhold. And even though small is in the name, this now formidable operation and the people behind its growth are making a big impact on the world of mushrooms. Yeah, my name is Adam DiMartino. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Smallhold. I'm the current chief innovation officer. Smallhold did in fact start small. The original concept was this idea of mini farms, portable self-contained growing units that could be placed right at the point of sale, for example in the produce section of grocery stores or at restaurants. The company would then supply the mini farm, keeping it stocked with fresh fruiting blocks of exotic mushrooms, and monitor and control the conditions by connecting to the unit remotely. Farming is often distributed, especially with specialty mushrooms, because of the way that they need to grow in the shelf life. This method of distributed agriculture allowed for the freshest possible mushrooms and potentially solving the problem of certain types of mushrooms having a dismally short shelf life and can't be easily shipped long distances. This is one of the main reasons why you typically don't see them at the grocery store. There we go. Nice, perfect lion's mane fruiting body. Can you just put it in the basket? Right it's gonna be uh, on somebody's frying pan. <laughs> you may still see the mini farms out in the wild. They are quite eye-catching and do a great job for marketing mushrooms in the store. But since then, Smallhold has further embraced the idea of bringing these exotic mushrooms to the masses through larger farms placed in strategic areas of Brooklyn, Austin, Texas, and the one we got to visit in Los Angeles. There's a density of buyers here. They want better food. There's a lack of variety on the shelf. And it's like obvious just by how you look at it. Iceberg lettuce is another, another good example of that. If you look at the button mushroom industry, they're like the iceberg lettuce of the mushroom world. And by the way, I don't dislike iceberg lettuce. I eat iceberg lettuce all the time. But do I eat only iceberg lettuce? No, I eat a lot of kale too. And so you're gonna watch that happen across the mushrooms. And we're watching it happen right now. You won't find button mushrooms at this farm. Not that there's anything wrong with buttons, but there just is so much more that the mushroom kingdom has to offer to the culinary world. 
At Smallhold, they grow things like Yellow Oyster, a delicate, delectable, Lion's Mane, known in the supplement world as the Brain Booster, which is also a gourmet edible, and King Oysters, which you might see at the store, but typically they're shipped from long distances overseas, and many other exotic types. Oh, you got it? I think it rules two people to a wreck. Is that okay? Yeah. Thank you. I'm just doing this all from the show. <laughs> <laughs> Mushrooms are the great recyclers, not only in nature, but also in the farming industry. Because not only can they grow on agricultural waste products, things that are clean and natural but don't typically have much other economic use case, but the waste from mushroom growing is something that can also be turned into compost or even animal feed. We work with multiple different composters in the area. We also work with a couple of bioremediation projects. These go into the ground for those projects. Uh, majority of them go to compost. The goal is to get this facility to the same spot as our Texas facility. We're trying to divert as many of those blocks uh, by giving them away to local ranchers uh, and local farmers, and they put them back into the ground. Or we also make that value-added vermicompost, uh, where we mix it with local food waste that then gets pooped out yeah. uh, by worms and then put back into the soil. It's not a full closed loop, uh, but it's pretty crazy. Mushroom farming is hard, and anyone who's ever tried their hand at it knows this to be the case. Forcing nature to do something that you want it to do at a specific time and place without running into any other issues is a constant battle. Probably one of the biggest issues any mushroom farmer might run into is contamination, which is why there is such an emphasis placed on cleanliness. Yeah, that's the thing. An intrinsic fear of, you know, any disease spreading and we want to make sure everything's super clean, obviously, like check us out. And we also knew that this place had to be up to snuff for some of the largest retailers in the country. So they have pretty strict food safety requirements. This is the standard for any food facility, but mushrooms take it up just a notch. The idea is to just keep everything moving and never have any city water, never have anything that could potentially harbor disease. It's pretty strict. Any mushroom grower with any experience has a healthy amount of paranoia about this. But the way Smallhold's LA facility is set up is really cool. It's a custom design made up of over two dozen individual bays. The conditions are managed by a proprietary system that they designed to get everything growing just right. This is not easy to do. Mushrooms are just so picky. Everything has to be carefully thought out when building something like this. You can tell Adam takes a lot of pride in this facility. Uh, everything in here was thought out in, in a very, well, I guess thoughtful way. Of course, growing mushrooms is hard, but that doesn't mean it can't also be fun and rewarding. And that's one of the main reasons why most growers get into it in the first place. <laughs> the race, the race. Is it the chorus we were after? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> As mentioned earlier, some mushrooms have a super short shelf life, which is one of the main reasons why you don't see them at the grocery store. Long shipping distances and potentially slow sell-through make it a challenge. But Smallhold is looking to change that. Even though that they don't seem to deal with the worst offenders anymore, like pink oysters, they have set up their farms and their distribution such that these types of mushrooms are showing up in more and more grocery stores, exposing people to the wide and wonderful variety of mushrooms that the fungal kingdom has to offer. Smallhold is growing and selling a lot of different types of exotic mushrooms. They've managed to build a brand within produce, something which is definitely not common. But what they're really doing is making mushrooms cool. Or maybe put more accurately, showing the world that mushrooms already are cool. Well, we didn't want it to be lame. 
People like Julie Furchi, Paul Stamets, and all these people, the giants, right? They made mushrooms cool. They went out and found the cool mushrooms and showed them to the world. And like, I feel like that's what really draws people in. And the fact that you can eat a lion's mane is like this awesome thing that you can share. It's like, I literally just want to show people mushrooms and then mushrooms are cool. That is my, like what I want for the brand. Mushrooms aren't just a food. They're an experience. And quite often, the more you're exposed to them, the more you realize just how cool they can be. But it's this whole experience for your family at your house. And then the kids like name them. That's what we do is we try to provide that holistic experience, hope that demand goes up, uh, and then also be there with the supply when, when it's ready. So what's next for Small Hold? The idea is to keep spreading the spores. What we do is we show people mushrooms and we show them mushrooms in every way possible. And that includes platforming other people as well as artists, growers, like talking to people, giving people our spent blocks uh, and uh, watching them grow free product on them uh, and then take pictures of it and then we repost that to the internet. Just basically giving people uh, a chance to experience the joy of mushrooms and understand that it's more than just, you know, a button mushroom and it's a kingdom. They have the mini farms, the larger farms, and are even starting to venture into value-added products like dried mushrooms. There's just so much that mushrooms have to offer, and they plan to make the most of it all. Just like mushrooms grow by setting up a number of inoculation points, connecting through mycelium, and eventually bursting into a fruiting body, Smallhold plans to keep showcasing the wonders of mushrooms, which will eventually lead to something fruitful. More mushrooms for all. If 300,000 people were in a stadium and you had a microphone and you could say one thing about mushrooms, what would that be? Eat more mushrooms. Perfect. Eat, more, eat mushrooms. more mushrooms. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You really can't go wrong. Well, don't eat too many, I guess. I hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. It's just such a cool company doing some really cool things in the space and it's always great to especially meet other founders as well doing cool things in mushrooms. I did end up getting some dried king oyster mushrooms and I also ended up getting this uh, cookbook, Mushrooms in the Middle. Lots of cool recipes in there and different ways to enjoy some of these gourmet mushrooms. So if you are in either LA or in Brooklyn or in Austin, there's a really good chance that you could head out right now and see if you could find some small hold mushrooms. And if you can, I highly recommend checking them out. This episode of The Mushroom Show is brought to you by Fresh Cat Mushrooms, pure and powerful mushrooms to help you achieve your health goals, which I know is way too long of a tagline, but I really do think it perfectly encapsulates what we're trying to do with our products. Now, I haven't been putting ad reads in recent episodes of The Mushroom Show, but I did get a call over the weekend from one of our new customers, Bill from Nevada, if you're watching. Big shout out to you, Bill. And he said that, you know, he had been watching the show for a while, watching the channel for a while, and he had no idea that we actually had mushroom products. He said basically that we really need to mention it more on the show. So Bill, this one's for you and for others like you who are looking to experience the benefits of mushrooms. That's the ad read if you're all interested in mushroom supplements it doesn't get any better than fresh cap we have mushrooms like lion's mane which is a really popular one or our blend which is a blend of six different mushrooms our mushrooms are always organic always extracted and always tested and verified to have high levels of active compounds so you can actually feel a difference you can find us on amazon or go to freshcap.com or you can use code the mushroom show to get 10% off your first order let's get back to the show so i recently saw this article come across my feed and the title is 
because oyster mushrooms expected to break down toxins and microplastics in cigarette butts in Australian trial. And this might sound surprising to a lot of people, but anybody who has experience working with oyster mushrooms or has grown oyster mushrooms, it's not really that surprising at all because oyster mushrooms will literally eat anything. Yes, mushrooms can be picky at times depending on the species, but certain mushrooms, oyster mushrooms in particular, can actually be trained to eat things that might be considered pollutants like oil spills or plastics or like in this case, cigarette butts. And this whole idea of using mushrooms to help clean up the environment or the idea of mycoremediation, this really is nothing new and a lot of you might be familiar with the famous Paul Stamets two island experiment where basically they took two different piles that were contaminated with diesel oil and used mushrooms to help remediate it. One pile was treated with oyster mushroom mycelium and the other one was just kind of left alone, used as the control group. But what happened was the pile that was treated with mycelium started to colonize and eventually fruited these big, beautiful mushrooms. Those mushrooms attracted insects, the insects attracted birds, and this little island became like a little island of life, while the non-treated pile just kind of remained dead and contaminated with diesel. And there are lots of examples of this type of thing on a small scale. For example, I met someone who was making kind of like a bioreactor where they're taking oil rags from a bike shop and putting them in a five gallon bucket, inoculating them with, uh, with oyster mushrooms again. And the oyster mushrooms are basically consuming these oil soaked rags and turning it into compost or just mycelium. There's even species of mushrooms that can actually consume just pure plastic and turn it into mycelium. And even though that is true, some mushrooms can consume plastic. I mean, it's still far away from being able to actually solve any sort of problem in the real world. You can't just like inoculate the floating plastic island with mushroom mycelium and have it go away because these things really take a long time. But it's still cool to think about the potential of mushrooms to help with things like this using mycoremediation. So back to the article, again, they're using oyster mushrooms to try and clean up these cigarette butts or using them in trials to kind of clean up these cigarette butts. And they're using oyster mushrooms, which you probably know is a commonly cultivated edible species of mushrooms, but there are lots of different species of oysters, everything from pink oysters to yellow oysters to blue oysters, some of them being more tenacious than others. So I don't know exactly what species they're using here, but either way, they're training it to eat these cigarette butts. So it says the Victorian government is funding a trial where up to 1.2 million cigarette butts are being diverted from landfills and sent to a laboratory where they have trained oyster mushrooms to specifically be able to break down or to eat, for lack of a better word, cigarette butts. Now the ultimate goal here is to be able to train the mushrooms to turn the cigarette butts into something that can eventually be used as polystyrene, which again, this isn't a super original idea. A lot of people are thinking that things like styrofoam can be replaced using mushrooms, but the things that I've seen before is where they have like sawdust that is molded into the shape of of whatever they want for the styrofoam, like some kind of packaging or whatever. And then the mycelium grows throughout the sawdust and then they treat it in an oven or something. And at the end of the day, you have this like fully compostable styrofoam-like material that's organic. It's just made of mushrooms and it solves potentially a big problem with packaging. So these researchers are kind of trying to solve two problems at one time, right? The cigarette butt issue and the this polystyrene packaging issue. It says right here, cigarette butts are a really challenging pollutant, so anything we can do with them is good news for the environment, Morgan said. 
We think it's the start of a really interesting conversation about how to recycle our materials responsibly and establish a circular economy. A circular economy, this is something that mushrooms are really good at in nature. They break down things that are dead and turn them into things that can produce life. It goes on to say the program will be run by Melbourne-based Fungi Solutions, which has spent years training mushrooms to consume these cigarette butts, mimicking a process that occurs naturally in the wild. Mushrooms have an incredibly adaptive digestive system and they use a lot of different things for food sources, says Amanda Morgan, the chief executive and head of research at Fungi Solutions. It says this particular material is quite toxic, speaking of the cigarette butts, so it takes a while to encourage them in that direction, but we now have a strain of fungi that is going just exclusively on cigarette butts alone. And this whole idea of training mushrooms to eat something, right? You don't just like sit them down and open up a textbook and teach them how to eat a certain substrate, but basically what you do is you start with a small amount of the target substance that you want mixed in with their typical media. So you take a small amount of cigarette butt or whatever mixed in with like hardwood sawdust or some other nutritious material that oyster mushrooms typically eat and then you slowly start to increase the concentration of that and what happens is the mycelium will learn as the mycelium is duplicating and as it is growing it will pass on information and it will kind of in real time react to the changes in the substrate and be able to learn how to eat this new substrate as a food source or as an energy source. I was in Telluride one summer at the mushroom festival and I was at a seminar with Trad Cotter who is a mycologist and an author and he had shown us a species of oyster that he had trained to eat 100% motor oil. And basically how he did it was he started with a little bit of oyster mycelium on a plate with something like a 5% solution of motor oil. And the mycelium would die back, but then it would start to grow out again. And you would take that new growth and put it in a solution of say 10% motor oil. And same thing, it would die back again, but then it would start to grow out. And you would keep kind of repeating this process from 15 to 20 to 50%, where eventually he had a species of oyster mushrooms that he could put on 100% motor oil and it would use that motor oil as a food source. Mushrooms just have this amazing ability to really quickly adapt to their environment to create new mechanisms of breaking down their food source and create new enzymes and be able to adapt really quick. Trad's also done some work with things like Staphylococcus and different bacteria. Well he'll put like a bacteria or a virus on a plate and on the other side he'll put some sort of mushroom mycelium, reishi, or even oysters. And when those two things meet, the mycelium will start to produce metabolites or things that are antibacterial or antiviral in the same kind of way. And the thought is that maybe you could extract those metabolites and introduce something like a new novel antibiotic. So there's so many different potential applications of using mycelium in this way or training mycelium in this way, whether it be coming up with potential solutions to viruses or bacteria, whether it be using it for oil spills, or again, in this case, whether it be for solving a potential problem like cigarette butts. But the one thing I will say about mycoremediation in general is that even though in theory it is great and it might work really great in the lab as well or it might work really great on a small scale, most of the time when you try to scale these things up to solve real problems, it doesn't quite scale up as easily. You can't just like drop a bunch of oyster mushroom mycelium in the ocean and have it clean up an oil spill. It just doesn't seem to work at that scale. Same thing with things like mycofiltration. Like you can make these little mycofilters with mycelium that will clean water, but if you try to install that on a large water system, 
the whole idea kind of breaks down. Still though, you gotta start somewhere and this might just be another example of how mushrooms are able to save the world. You have psilocybin mushrooms that are being researched for mental health, functional mushrooms that are being researched for bodily health, and of course you have mycelium that is being researched for different ways that it can help the health of the planet. So overall really cool and I'm sure we're gonna see a lot of other examples of these kinds of technologies emerging over the coming years. Another really quick piece of news here, and to be honest it's not even really that newsworthy, it just kind of struck me as interesting to see in the mainstream. And it's this article that says, inside the Vancouver lab where scientists legally grow magic mushrooms. Now this story is about a company in Vancouver called Filament Health who are growing psilocybin mushrooms for a very small amount of people that have access to psilocybin through Health Canada's approved special access program. Now, why is this notable? Well, it's not really because I mean, there are lots of companies now that are starting to do this, starting to grow psilocybin containing mushrooms. On episode two of The Mushroom Show, we visited a mega facility in Princeton, British Columbia that plans to grow you know, thousands of pounds of psilocybe cubensis, and it's legal to do in Canada within the rules of the special access program and other government programs where this is gonna become a lot more common. But it's just a little bit weird for some reason because only a few short years ago, you wouldn't have seen any of this. And this all looks very high tech, right? It looks like it's in a lab, but but basically what this is, is the monotub tech. So you take, you can kind of see here, you have these big plastic tubs that are kind of lined with a garbage bin. And then you fill that with a substrate of coca choir and vermiculite that's been pasteurized. Then you add in some mushroom grain spawn, close the lid, as you can see these tubs here, and eventually you will get a large flush or canopy of mushrooms. So here's another picture here. This guy's cutting them off of this block and then he's probably gonna, I don't know, he's probably gonna soak this and put it back in the monotub and get a second flush. And then there's a very high-tech looking dehydrator where they're dehydrating these mushrooms. And here's a nice little picture here. And I guess they're growing, yeah, Psilocybe cupensis, which is the most common one. And uh, again, using a very common technique called the monotub tech. I just find it slightly amusing for some reason to picture like these scientists scrolling old threads and old posts from like 2011 on the shroomery to learn how to grow mushrooms at these facilities. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Obviously, I think it's kind of cool to see. I had the exact same feeling when I was at Optimi in Princeton, British Columbia, and they had pallets worth of coca choir and pallets worth of vermiculite. And again, they were using these same techniques that have been developed for a long time underground, and now they're using them on a large scale to grow mushrooms legally for trials and potentially eventually for other reasons, depending on how the legal situation ends up in Canada. And it really does make me wonder what the future is gonna look like for psilocybin cultivation. Is it gonna be the button mushroom farmers or the agaricus farmers who are already growing button mushrooms? And are they gonna transfer into you know growing psilocybin? much like people who used to grow red peppers in Southern Ontario switched to growing cannabis? Or is it gonna be these very pharmaceutical-like facilities like we're seeing at Optimi? Or are they just gonna produce synthetic psilocybin? Or is it gonna be a blend or somewhere in between? I really have no idea. It's just interesting to see it. We're seeing a brand new industry emerge in real time. I would like to know what you think though, what psilocybin cultivation is going to look like in the future. I'm really hopeful to be able to tour more facilities interview more people that are involved in the industry over the next few years and share that all with you right here on The Mushroom Show. But in the meantime, I'd love to know what you think. 
My guess is that it's not gonna be kind of monotubs like this or some of these more traditional techniques, but who knows? I guess we're just gonna have to wait to find out. And that's a wrap for this episode of The Mushroom Show. Thank you so much for watching. I can't tell you enough how happy it makes me to know that so many of you are tuning in every couple of weeks to come learn about mushrooms. I really think we're building something cool here, building a cool community, all with the power of mushrooms. So thank you again so much. If you like mushrooms, if you like The Mushroom Show, again, it will be super helpful if you go ahead and hit that like button. It really helps the algorithm get the show out to more people. And if you want to see future episodes, be sure to hit that subscribe button as well. It really helps the channel grow. And finally, again, if you want to connect in between episodes, make sure to follow me at FreshCapTony on Twitter. Spend a lot of time there doing research for the show and also just kind of interacting with the mushroom community. We're building a pretty cool community over there as well. It's just a great place to interact and talk mushrooms. So again, be sure to hit me up there at FreshCapTony on Twitter. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you in the next episode.